Well, good morning once again in Counter Church. It's so good to be with you. I was just telling the people in behind the rows there uh, that, Joe, you just stole my introduction with the whole New Year thing, uh, so I'm going to have to rewrite that real quick, uh, but it's all good. Hey, it's good to be together. I want to welcome in all of those who are joining us online. So thankful that we can gather as a church community today. And uh, man, I'm just so incredibly excited for what God is going to do in and through this church body in 2023. It's going to be good, and I'm thankful that we can be part of it. Well, I know it's 2023 now, but I want to bring you back to the year that I graduated high school. Now, when I share the year that I graduated high school, some of you are going to be like, wow, he's young. And others of you in the room are going to be like, wow. He's old. I'm at this weird age where I still get both reactions. Uh, Some of you are going to be like, you could be my grandson. Thanks, I could. And others of you are going to say, you didn't have Wi-Fi growing up? What did you do? We did this weird thing called play outside. And we made eye contact with one another. It's dangerous, I know. We rode our bikes. I still have scars to prove it. (laughs) Well, anyway, I graduated high school in 1970. I'm kidding. In 2011, (laughs) I graduated high school. And when I graduated, I had the opportunity to fulfill one of my childhood dreams to play college football. So I graduated high school. I enrolled in college. I was set to be part of the football team. And my position was quarterback. And the quarterback from last year had graduated. So I knew that the starting position was open. And I was determined to earn that starting role. And so I worked my butt off in the off season. I spent hours in the weight room. Clearly don't do that anymore. Um, I spent hours at the track. Y'all, I could run a mile without even breathing heavy or breaking a sweat. Probably could not do that anymore as well. But I was in the best shape of my life and I was ready to earn the starting position. So I get to campus uh, for my freshman year And in college, as you can expect, every position is highly competitive. And there's no secrets. It's crystal clear where you stand. In the locker room, there's a depth chart. And so each and every single day, you can see where you stand amongst your peers. And so the very first day I arrive on campus, my freshman year, I'm thinking, championship season, starting quarterback, let's go. I go, let's go, right? Um, I go into the locker room and I look at the depth chart. Number one for the quarterback's depth chart. Number one, not me. Number two, not me. Number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven, number eight, number nine, Number 10, number 11, Kyle McRill. There were 12 quarterbacks on the team. And I was projected to be the second worst. Are you kidding me? I had just committed to spending the next four years of my life at this place. Everything that I worked for, Everything that I thought I was, and I'm 11 on the depth chart, which just so you know, that basically means you're never going to play. That's what that means. I was, I was questioning everything I knew to be true about my life, thinking 
Is this all I am? I share that story with you because for all of us in this room watching online, we all, all have a sense of identity, right? We all see ourselves in a certain way. Whether you've been following Jesus for years and years or you're kind of new here and you're just checking this whole Jesus thing out, we all have a sense of identity, a constructed understanding of who we are. And oftentimes, that sense of identity is tied to the things that we experience in life. Uh, For example, moms and dads, the, the moment that you welcomed your first child into the world, everything changed, right? I've heard this from some of you, and uh, my wife and I are getting ready to welcome our first child into the world in two months, so pray for your boy, okay? Um, But I've heard this from some of you, that when you welcome a child into the world, everything changes. You have new responsibilities, you have to learn new swaddling techniques, I don't know if I've got that down yet, Um, but you're exhausted, you have a few hours of sleep, and it's like the same thing every single day, eat, sleep, poop, eat, sleep, poop eat, sleep, blowout, (laughs) eat, sleep, poop. And you realize you haven't changed in a week and you go to put on what you think is a new t-shirt and there's puke all up on this side. And you don't know what this is, but this smells even worse. And you're thinking, is this all I am now? Or maybe you're in college and you're pursuing a degree in business that you always dreamed about. Uh, Maybe when they asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, you've had the same answer since you were 10 years old. You wanted to be the first one in your family to own your own business, and so you're excited to get to college to get the degree to make that happen. So you get to college, first class on the list, microeconomics. And you've got a test on Friday, but you're ready for it. You studied. You took notes. While everyone was going out and partying, You were in your dorm room, and you were writing note cards. You're ready for it. So Friday rolls around, the test is here. You take the test, you feel good about the test. Monday rolls around, you get the test back. It's a C minus. But you studied. You made note cards. A C minus? And listen, microeconomics, that's supposed to be one of the easier courses You've got 20-something harder courses to go. You're in your dorm room thinking, is this all I am? Or maybe growing up, someone made a nasty comment about your weight or your appearance. And you, you felt this overwhelming social pressure to look a certain way. And you thought that the only way to get there would be to deny yourself food for days at a time. And while the pain of hunger was real, nothing was more real than not living up to their expectations. And now, years later, you can't smile when you look in the mirror. And you ask yourself day after day after day, is this all I am? You know, thousands of years ago, there's a Samaritan woman, and she asked the same question. Is this all I am? And for years and years and years, her answer was yes. But then she met Jesus, and he had a different answer. We find the story in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. We're going to have it up on the screens as well. In John chapter 4, Jesus is with his disciples 
and they're traveling together, they're doing ministry, and they're currently in Judea, and they're making their way to Galilee. So here's what the text says, John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, now he, speaking of Jesus, had to go. Everyone say, had to go. Had to go go through Samaria. Quick problem with verse 4. No, he didn't. (laughs) He did not have to go through Samaria. Here's a quick map of Palestine in the first century, because I know you love the maps in the back of your Bibles. Uh, You can see that Judea is in the bottom in the bluish area. See Samaria in the middle in the purple, and then you see Galilee in the top in the orange. So you don't need a PhD to understand that the quickest way from Judea to Galilee, the quickest way is through Samaria, right? But here's the problem. Every single other Jew would have gone around Samaria to get to Galilee, It's kind of like if you're a Michigan fan and you travel outside of the state, you go around the state of Ohio. Why? Because that's just what you do. doesn't matter how much gas is, right? But every single Jew would have gone around Samaria because they have experienced hostility for over 500 years. In fact, just a few years before Jesus is born, they're basically at war with one another. And Jesus knows this, right? He knows the history. He knows the tension that exists. So why would he jeopardize or put in in potential harm's way his disciples as he's going to Galilee? Why would he do that? Let's keep reading to find out. Verse 5, it says this. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in town to buy food. Now, why does John, the author of this story, take space in the story to tell us what time it is? Like John would would have been with Jesus on this journey. Why does he care to tell us what time it is? Like, who cares what time it is? John, just get to the story, right? But this small detail by John of what time it is could not be more important. Actually, it helps us understand why Jesus had to go through Samaria when we know that he should have just gone around it. Because here's what we know culturally. Women did not go to the well at noon. Why? It's too hot out. It's too hot. The women going to the well, they would have gone early in the morning to avoid the heat of the day. They would have gone early in the morning and they also would have gone in groups. They would have had to go in groups because when they would draw the water, they would fill jars of water and they'd be very, very heavy. And what they would do is they would lift them up, they'd put them on their heads, and they would walk back to their hometown. And because those jars were heavy, they would need to be in groups so they could support one another to lift those heavy jars. So in that day, the women would go to the well early in the morning and in groups. But this woman, she's there at noon. And she's by herself. Something's not right here. Let's keep reading. It says this, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
his disciples had gone in town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. That's an awkward sentence, Jesus. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are with now, he's not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now we see. Now we see why the woman is at the well by herself. Jesus says, go, call your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're with now, he's not your husband. She is loaded with shame. She's embarrassed. It's likely that the people of her hometown would have said, we don't want to be seen with you. Now, the text isn't exactly clear what exactly happened to her five husbands, but it's likely that some, if not all of them, divorced her. And regardless of what exactly happened, it's safe to assume that when she wakes up in the morning, she says, is this all I am? And it's through this shame, and it's through this guilt, and it's through the mistakes of her past that cause her to go to the well at noon by herself as she hangs her head saying, no one wants me. You can just feel the heaviness of her burden. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, here's the part of the story that I don't understand. Why did Jesus even have to bring up her five husbands? (laughs) I mean, look at the conversation. The conversation is going super well. Jesus is like, I've got living water that can well up to eternal life. The woman is like, sir, can you give me this living water? Just give her the living water, Jesus. She wants the living water. Why do you have to ask about her five husbands? 
It's kind of like if Jesus and I were in the lobby after church and there's someone who came up to us who wants to get connected here at Encounter. The woman's like, I see you have small groups available. Man, I would love to join one. I've been longing to do life with other people. Oh, and, and you need help in kids ministry? Oh, sign me up in the nursery. I love to rock the babies. Babies are so cute. And, and you guys are doing baptism soon? Oh, sign me up. I've been longing to show the world that I've been raised with Christ. It, listen, it's at this point in the conversation that Jesus and I are fist bumping one another like, she's in, bro, we got her. This is so good. And then Jesus leans into the conversation and he says, um, go call your husband. Like, what? That's awkward. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the person you're with right now, he's not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. At this point in the conversation, how do you not have a look of shock on your face? And I'm like, ma'am, excuse me for just one moment. Jesus, a word, please. Jesus, come here. Hey, man, I... I don't know exactly what to say here, but what, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you asking about her five husbands? She just crossed off half of the courageous next steps here at Encounter. Why are you asking about her husbands? Just give her the living water, Jesus. She wants the living water. I imagine that's how the conversation would go. Quick story. Um, in high school, uh, after a game, one of my friends, Cameron, he got injured and he had to go to the hospital. And so my friends and I, the next morning, we went to see him to check in on him. And we realized he had a cut on his arm that it got infected. And so he had to stay overnight. So we're chilling there in the hospital and the nurse comes in and she says, hey guys, uh, I'm going to cut open his wound a little bit to disinfect it. Uh, You guys can stay and watch and hang out or you can step out in the hallway, whatever you want to do. Well, at that point in my life, I wanted to be a nurse when I got older. And so I'm like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity. Uh, I'm going to watch and see what y'all do. So this is going to be good. And the more she started to work on his arm, the more the room started to spin. True story. The next thing that I remember, I'm in the hallway. My head's between my legs. Another nurse is taking my vitals. I look in the hospital bed. Cameron is dying laughing, as is everyone else in the hospital room. And all I can think about is, if I can't be a nurse, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? (laughs) I was in this crisis moment. And I asked my friend, Jake, at the time, I was like, dude, what happened? He's like, you passed out. And I caught you. You're lucky. I was like, what happened? He said, the nurse came in and she opened up his arm to disinfect it. She said she had to expose the wound so she could heal the wound. Oh, I hope somebody catches this this morning. What is Jesus doing in our conversation? Why is he asking about her five husbands? He's exposing her wound so he can heal her wound. That's what he's doing. He doesn't want to shame her. He wants to heal her. I've talked for the last 20 something minutes to get to this simple truth right here. I pray your heart would receive it. Is that there is freedom. Everyone say freedom. Freedom. There is freedom when we see ourselves 
the way that God sees us. There is freedom when we see ourselves the way that God sees us. So Pastor Dirk said I could preach on anything that I wanted to this morning because we're not in a series, and that's a very dangerous thing to tell me. Uh, But anyway, um, and out of all of the things that I could have preached on, I chose this message specifically because I know today at the start of 2023, uh, we're going to plot New Year's resolutions. Uh, We're going to plot some goals. We're going to dream about who we want to become. We're going to dream about the things that we want to accomplish in this year. And listen, that's awesome. Go for it. I hope you crush this year and make it your best year yet. But I pray for all of us in this room that before we do that, that we would take time and look in the mirror and say, God, this year, I want to see myself the way that you see me. This year, I want your thoughts about me to be my thoughts about me. You see, when we let his heart define our identity, we're going to live a life that we never thought was possible. How do I know that? The woman. You see, for years and years, she had gone to the well at noon by herself. But in one conversation with Jesus, what does she do? If you read the story, here's what happens. She goes into town. She shares about her experience with Jesus. And the Bible says that many, many Samaritans place their faith in Jesus. Question, how do you go from someone who goes to the well at noon by yourself to going into town and publicly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. How do you do that? I'll tell you one word, freedom. And here's the good news, my friends. The same freedom that was available to this Samaritan woman thousands of years ago is the same freedom that's available to you and I today. Jesus says, I've got living water for you. Water welling up to eternal life. When you take a deep look into the story, uh, you'll find that Jesus borrows this living water imagery from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. It's kind of like when Dirk is preaching on Sunday and like I'm in the front row and he says something that's really good and I write it down. I'm like, that's good. I'm going to use that someday. You know, it's kind of like one of those moments for Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, what God is saying is that Israel, his people, they have forsaken him, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, cisterns that are broke and can't carry any water. And if cistern is a new word for you, it's it's basically just this tank that holds water, right? And so God is saying his people have forsaken him, the spring of living water. You know what's a broken cistern? Letting one season of your life determine your identity. You know what's a broken cistern? Letting one mistake or failure determine how you see yourself. You know what's a broken cistern? Letting other people's comments shape who you see in the mirror. Could it be this morning that you and I are not experiencing the freedom when it comes to our identity because we're trying to draw water from a broken cistern. Whether it be the world, social media, 
other people's expectations, the list goes on and on. Could it be that we could find freedom when we go to the spring of living water, and that is Jesus himself? And if that's you this morning, there's good news, friends. Just as Jesus, hear me, just as Jesus had to go through Samaria, again, he should have gone around it, but he had to go through Samaria to heal her wounds and restore her identity. I believe Jesus has brought us to this place together to heal our wounds and to restore our identity. Jesus says, come, I've got water for you. Refresh, restore your soul. A few years ago, a student walks into my office. Uh, He'd been struggling for a while. And this student's past, it included everything we don't want for our kids. Physical, emotional abuse, abandonment, real trauma. And as you can imagine, the the horrible things that happened in his past shaped how he viewed himself. He would say things like, because my past is horrible, my future is going to be horrible. He would say things like, because of the bad things that have happened to me, how could anyone love me? Now, sitting there, I, I knew those things were not true, but to him they felt very, very true. You see, the, the terrible things that happened in his past cast a shadow over his entire life. And I said, my friend, I know, I know you can't see any light at the end of the tunnel, but I promise it's there. I promise there's hope for you. So as we were having this conversation, I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this piece of paper. And on the left side of the paper, I want you to write down the 10 negative things you believe to be true about yourself. And so he did. And when he finished that, I said, on the right side of your paper, I want you to write what you think Jesus would respond to those negative comments about yourself. And he was a youth group kid, so he knew a little bit of the Bible. And so he did, one by one. And we went through them. The first one, because my past was horrible, my future is going to be horrible. How would Jesus respond? Well, Jesus says that I'm his masterpiece. That I'm created in his image and he prepared good works in advance for me to do. That's right, he sure did. Let's go to the next one. Because my past was horrible and because of all the things that have happened to me, how could anyone love me? How would Jesus respond? Well, Jesus would say that nothing. Nothing, neither, neither death nor life, angels nor demons can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're right, bud, nothing. <laughs> and we went through until we got through all 10. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tape that piece of paper in your room. And every time you're tempted to believe something negative about yourself, I want you to go to that paper 
And I want you to replace it with what Jesus says about you. What were we doing? We were replacing lies with truth. And we let the truth of God's word define who he was, not his past. And what happened? Slowly but surely, and over the course of time, he began to walk in and understand who he was in Christ. What did he begin to experience? Freedom. Why? Because there's freedom when we see ourselves the way that God sees us. Does it mean that everything in his past just went away? No. It just means that he wasn't held captive by it. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we get ready to close. So much excitement here in January 1st, 2023, thinking about what this year is going to have for us, what Jesus is going to do in us and through us. It's a lot to get excited for and some things to maybe we're worried about or fearful of. I'm going to ask that you... uh, just so that we can have a moment with us in Jesus, I want to ask that you would bow your head and close your eyes. If as we're talking this morning, if you would say, Kyle, there's part of my identity, if I'm honest with myself, there's part of my identity that's tied to some things that I don't want it to be tied to. There's part of my identity that's tied to a season in life that I wish I could take back. There's part of my identity that's tied to a mistake that I wish I never would have made. Or there's part of my identity that no matter how hard I try, it's tied to what other people say about me. It's tied to what other people think about me. And this morning you would say, Kyle... At the start of 2023, at the start of a new year, I want to lay that at the feet of Jesus and I want to receive his truth and let his truth define my identity, not what other people think, feel, or what I've experienced. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, I want you to simply just slip up your hand and when you do that, you can slip it up and you can slip it right back down because I want to know who I can pray for this morning. On the count of three, if that's you, Go ahead and slip up your hand. Ready? One, two, three. You want to find identity in Jesus. That's good. Yep, you can slip it right up and slip it right back down. That's good. We've got hands going up. (laughs) Just as Jesus had to go through Samaria to heal that lady's wounds and to restore her image and identity So he wants to heal and restore today. So Jesus, I pray today that as we embark on a new year, that before we would plot out goals or resolutions or think about what we want to accomplish, I pray that we would first look in the mirror and say, God, help me to see myself the way that you see me. 
Help your thoughts about me to be my thoughts about me. Help me to walk into the truth that you have for my life, that I'm loved, redeemed, that I am a child of God. And Jesus, I specifically pray for the people who raise their hands. I pray today that would be a monumental day in their life where they have laid false identities at your feet. And God, let them leave it there and take back with them an identity that is rooted in your truth, that's rooted in your grace, that's rooted in your provision, that's rooted in your love. And they could walk away saying, I am who God says I am. And I have freedom. And I have deliverance. And Jesus is with me. God, I pray that that would be the truth for the people in this room. And God, we forever give you honor, glory, and praise for you are worthy. Jesus, we thank you for that truth today that who the Son sets free is free indeed. We declare and we rest in that freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group, or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.